There are some people who believe in ghosts, and there are some people who don't. If you're the believe-in-ghosts kind, then this story is about one. And if you're the don't-believe-in-ghosts kind, well, just for fun, this story is about one anyway. Hello, everybody. Welcome Ooh. back to the Bookcase Diaries. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching others in the process, including you. I'm Adam. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. What up? Since they have been around, humans have been utterly fascinated by the idea of life after death. Some believe in heaven and hell, while others believe in reincarnation. And some believe that spirits can roam the earth after leaving their bodies. According to a 2019 YouGov poll, 45% of Americans believe in ghosts. It's a fear that has plagued the nightmares of many, the idea that there are unseen spirits among us. But what if you found out that the ghost in your home wasn't mean? Would it change your mind of the spirit? If it just wanted to be your friend? In the mid-1940s, Paramount's famous studios produced a short called The Friendly Ghost, starring a cute little spirit named Casper. Casper went on to star in many cartoons and comics, and in 1995, he started a major motion picture alongside Bill Pullman and Christina Ricci. Yay! So if you're the kind of person that believes in ghosts, this is the story of Casper. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't believe in ghosts, well, this is the story of Casper anyway. (laughs) I actually got that line from the first ever Casper short. Yeah, way back. Yeah, so that that's how the the short starts. It has it's the 1940s, so they have Mm -hmm. that they have that narrator. This is the story of Casper. You know, (laughs) 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 you know how how things were done. Classic like radio sound almost. (laughs) That mid Atlantic accent that never existed. (laughs) Casper, the friendly ghost, the friendliest ghost you know. (laughs) I know tons. And they're not as friendly as Casper. Uh If you look at the original animation and subsequent comics, it's tough to figure out exactly where Casper came from. But in the real world, he was created in the late 1930s by Joe Oriolo and Seymour Wright. The story behind Casper's origins was disputed between the co-creators. Oriolo's family says that he created the character to help his daughter overcome her fear of the dark. Wright claimed that he wrote the story, but Oriolo drew up the images of the character. Casper was originally designed to be a spirit in a bedsheet. The idea of a ghost in a white sheet dates back as early as the 15th century, when people in England would report seeing apparitions wrapped in shrouds. Yeah, it's it's very common. They're always white and yes. wispy. It's yeah. Like the sh- a sheet is the closest thing we have. Yeah. The idea stems from the fact that many people of lower economic status couldn't afford coffins and were then only buried in their burial shrouds. By the time of Shakespeare, reports of people impersonating ghosts by wearing sheets were becoming somewhat common. It seemed a popular disguise for criminals. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a ghost robbing the bank. (laughs) 
Like, yeah. well, well, we got to let him. I mean, <laughs> he's a ghost. <laughs> a person wouldn't just put a sheet on. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it must be a ghost. <laughs> Over time, this became the most iconic image of a ghost and would become a popular Halloween costume. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You need a costume last second? Ghost. Exactly. The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, is such a funny little yeah. thing because everyone's a ghost. In my, it takes place in the '60s, and my dad watches it and says, "Yes, this is all that people were. Was, <laughs> you were ghost, which that was it." That was like, it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was probably a really good time for parents. Like, you don't have to spend much time on, on yes. a costume. Yeah, absolutely. Like, here you go. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> the craziness that Halloween has become was yeah. not always that oh, way. Oh, yeah. Imagine an entire neighborhood where everyone was a ghost, right? <laughs> and then to just see that. Yeah. Just see just <laughs> hundreds of ghosts walking around. It'd be kind of like cool, but creepy and, yeah. Yeah. you know. Casper's creators were animators working for Max Fleischer. Originally, the concept was for a children's book, but that did not pan out. The project was put on hold as Wright served in the military during World War II. During the war, the Fleischer Studios was purchased by Paramount and was now called Famous Studios. <laughs> because of this, all rights to Casper were sold to Famous Studios for $200. <laughs> wow. That's a pretty good steal right there. I mean, yeah, for an IP like that. <laughs> yeah. In 1945, Casper made his debut in a Famous Studios short called The Friendly Ghost. The short introduced audiences to a sweet little ghost named Casper who didn't fit in with his ghostly counterparts because he didn't like to scare people. In fact, he wanted to be their friend. You can even see him reading the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, uh, how cute is that? <laughs> yes, I've, got, I've gotten books similar to that, I feel like. Yeah. From my parents, even. Friends um. for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that it worked. I only have like two or three friends. But oh. they're good friends. I mean, it's quality true. over none quantity, Marcy. None of them in this <laughs> You're <room>. right. <laughs> no, no. We will link to that short so you guys can watch it. Yay, Everybody yay. listening. Between 1945 and 1959, 55 theatrical Casper shorts were released. According to Dark Horse Comics, publisher St. John's created Casper Comics starting in 1949. In 1952, Harvey Comics took over and gave the ghost much of his iconic qualities. And animators that had developed him on screen also worked on the comics as well. There has been much debate about where Casper himself comes from. In one of the famous studio shorts, Casper can be seen sitting by a gravestone, which would imply that he is the ghost of a deceased child. In the comics, however, Casper was born a ghost. Ghosts in the comic universe are, tre are treated like any other supernatural beings, being born as what they are and not something another creature can become. That is super interesting. Mm -hmm. What a weird take. Yeah, odd. So the idea, mm -hmm. they thought it was a little too creepy or sad to think that this adorable little ghost was a dead child. Mm -hmm. So they thought, okay, let's make it so that it's kind of like, it's kind of like being a goblin, you know? Yeah, Even though you just are one. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. like you just are that. <laughs> that ghosts just exist yeah. right yeah yeah it's so like being wonder, a fairy you know i wonder if they grow older then exactly ah. it raises a lot it raises a lot more questions yeah. than it answers yes <laughs> honestly honestly yes. It, it really does casper's parents were ghosts when they were married so ghosts can procreate in the harvey comic universe okay <laughs> all right yeah i wonder if part of it that casper is portrayed as a child like 
ghost is because of his innocence. He doesn't want to scare anybody. Maybe that's ah. why he has the younger type features. There you go. That's an interesting yeah. thought. So the scarier you want to be as a ghost, the scarier you right. will appear. Maybe. Yeah. Huh. One theory for Casper came from a Simpsons episode in 1991 where Lisa theorizes that Casper is the ghost of Richie Rich, another Harvey Comics property. Oh, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, she says that he killed himself, and I think that was part of the theory. Oh. Yes. Casper was not intended to be the ghost of Richie Rich, as he was created years before the Richie Rich comics were published. But comics don't usually follow strict timeline rules. So if you want to believe this theory, more power to you. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. sure. Sure, whatever. You're wrong, though. <laughs> In 1963, the new Casper cartoon show premiered as an ABC Saturday morning cartoon. It featured many of the characters from the comic books, like Wendy the Good Witch, the Ghostly Trio, which have had a few different names over the past few years, mm -hmm. and Spooky the Tough Little Ghost. Which I think sounds like the cutest character on yeah. the face of the earth. Yeah, because he's tough. Little tough ghost. Little tough. His name's Spooky. <laughs> yeah. And tough spelled T-U-F-F. -F. This <laughs> this is the Casper that I remember the most is the the animated TV show mm -hmm. because I remember just seeing those shorts all the time and I had a VHS that was like. I don't remember if it was episodes or if it was like a special mm -hmm. or something like that, but I remember watching that all the time. I could probably still find it if I dug through my old VHSs. <laughs> Although Casper was a popular comic, the cartoon show really enhanced the character's popularity and made him recognizable around the world. In 1995, almost half a century later, Casper returned to the movie theaters in the first ever live-action film with a CGI character as the lead role. Whoa. Yay. Yay. Making it to the big Woo. top. So, the 1995 movie, Casper, has a main cast of four humans and four ghosts. <laughs> Convenient. When the snobby Kerrigan Crittenden, uh, played by Kathy Moriarty, inherits Wh Whipstaff Manor, she and her male companion... Dibs, uh, Eric Idle, soon discover it is haunted by malevolent spirits. I, I've said this before. If that was me, I'm out. <laughs> she doesn't have to live there. They hire Dr. Harvey, Bill Pullman, a ghost therapist who has been traveling across the country, claiming to be able to help ghosts move on from their haunting places. He brings with him his young daughter, Kat, Christina Ritchie. After moving into the house, Dr. Harvey and Kat become acquainted with the ghostly trio, Fatso, Stretch, and Stinky, and their young nephew, Casper. Casper is infatuated with Kat, and they form a strong friendship that can withstand life and death. Yeah, and it also it's important to note that there is a buried treasure in this house. Oh. Yes. And they are... The evil Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle are trying to get the ghosts out of the house to obtain this treasure. They get the help of Dr. Harvey, who's named after the Harvey comics. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Convenient. Yes. That makes sense. Clever. Yes. The ghost mm -hmm. therapist who has been traveling around the country, dragging his daughter with him, <laughs> trying to find the spirit of his dead wife. Oh, okay. Rough. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, ghosts. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad. So let's uh, bring it up a bit and talk about <laughs> the making of the movie. 
There you go. Produced by Steven Spielberg, Casper was the first ever hybrid animation live action movie made with Universal Studios. Hey, pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty neat. Brad Silberling, who would later go on to direct a series of unfortunate events. Hey, Ooh. another movie that's not so bad. Yes. Yeah. If you Take watch it again. Watch. Yeah. Took on the role of director. He was a TV director, and this was his first time directing a full-length feature film. He said that Steven Spielberg was supportive as a producer and let him make his own creative choices. This reminded me of the comments people made about Tim Burton as the director of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, we just mentioned that, how he's like sweet yeah like oh man all producers are like that right no uh. <laughs> Unfortunately, everyone's no. got their own style but i guess i wouldn't say it's a coincidence that steven spielberg and tim burton have a similar style mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean <laughs> i mean if you're easy to work with more people are gonna work with you that's, that's right you're gonna uh, that's good you're gonna hire a lot of people who are talented and aren't fed up <laughs> yeah that's a yeah good point yeah Silberlein also had no experience with special effects, which would prove to be a huge component of the directing experience. Oh, yeah. Especially with this movie, it seems. <laughs> yes, he picked, he picked a big one. Mm-hmm. Originally, Alex Proyas from iRobot and the Crow was hired as director, but left just before production began. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His plan was for the movie to be a darker take on the children's cartoon, with influences from The Wizard of Oz. It would have been different, but we still wouldn't mind seeing that movie if he still wants to make it. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. You know, they'd have to convince me, I think. (laughs) You know, go for it if they want to do it. But like, hmm, I don't know. Casper is such a friendly, nice thing in my my mind, you know? You yeah. have to convince me. I mean, already this movie was considered to be darker than the cartoon. True. Be- because he's a dead person in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know right. how much darker he was going to go, <laughs> but there were some rewrites. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> the screenplay went through various changes throughout the movie process, but it was written by originally Deanna Oliver, Sherry Stoner, and then with an uncredited rewrite by J.J. Abrams. Hey! Is this like the Hollywood the movie? <laughs> as far as like behind the scenes goes? Yeah, because they everyone... were all there. Brad Silberling did say that Steven Spielberg called in a lot of favors for this movie. So. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you need one person, then that, he's the guy who's going to get you the people. Yeah. <laughs> Deanna Oliver was also a writer on The Brave Little Toaster, and she played the main character. Yep. How oh, cool is that? That's. That's yeah. really cool. She's the toaster of the town. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry Stoner is also a prominent screenwriter who has worked on The Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah. Oh, man, two killer cartoons. Yeah, yes. I would definitely watch another movie written by these people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The rewrite seems to have happened after Proyas left the film to make it more lighthearted and focused on the emotional connection between Kat a grieving teenage girl, and Casper, a soul that mourns his lost life. Years later, Proyas remarked that the movie was a missed opportunity, and the attempts at emotion were forced. 
This was a common criticism that yeah. I saw a lot while reading over reviews of this movie. I did too. There were a lot that were like, oh, their relationship was forced. It didn't seem natural. And yeah, I, I don't agree. Yeah, I mean, I think for what it was, they did a pretty good job. You yeah. know, a relationship between a ghost and a young girl isn't going to feel very natural to people watching it. No. And I, I think they did for, for what they had, though, I, I felt like it was really natural more so as like a friendship, mm-hmm. a relationship born out of understanding. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there is a romantic element. And I mean, adding that part in, I guess, could make people feel a little weird. It's more like he is 12 years old. He has the mind of a 12 year old boy mm-hmm. yeah. and he sees a pretty girl. She's probably the first person to acknowledge him and yeah, who knows mm-hmm. how long. So it's easy for yeah. him to just be like, oh, finally. Yes. And then just grow attached to her. I wouldn't say the attachment that he has is really healthy or anything. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say that it's still pretty innocent. He's just a kid. He only has 12 years worth of experience. And mm-hmm. that's not a lot, especially with in terms of relationships. Yeah. Zero experience. Right. So you can't really blame him. Right. And I think that the plot line with her mom being gone, I think it's subtle, but it's there enough. You know, you know, there's great moments between her and her dad where you can see that they're not really communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. There isn't a lot of time with them together on Mm -hmm. screen. And when they're when they are together on screen, it's awkward. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to say to each other. I mean, they're both going through grief and they don't know how to how to handle it. Right. right Like her, her father is kind of diving into this obsession with finding her ghost right mm-hmm, and kind of mm-hmm. focus it's the same as in other movies when one of the parents is just obsessed with work they're just always working you know it's kind of yeah. the same thing they don't really have time to focus on their serious you know him finding his wife's ghost and taking care of his daughter at mm-hmm. the same time yeah you know and and obviously that's going to affect her she's going to be like um where's dad you yeah. know, I need yeah. dad right now because mom is obviously gone. Yeah. So, And he just can't fulfill his role as a father mm-hmm. until he closes the chapter on the fact that his, his wife is gone. Yeah. Yes. You're not going to find her. Mom's not a ghost, Dad. Oh, yes, she is. She has unfinished business. And she knows it. And mm-hmm. he knows that she knows it. And it causes a lot of tension. Yeah. You know, and it's like they can't really communicate Mm -hmm. and already it is so hard to communicate with a teenage girl anyway you know so tell me about it trying (laughs) to do it in in this context it makes it even more difficult and so it's so vital that she finds casper Mm -hmm. because he is actually somebody who understands her even if she doesn't quite realize it in the beginning but you know yeah Mm -hmm. so almost the entire movie was shot on a soundstage yeah. Which is nuts so. Yeah, the house was digital and a set. Yeah. The set with Whipstap Manor was three levels high, which is rare. Brad Silberling notes that usually directors are lucky to get to work on one level of a set, let alone three. Yeah, it was a full-scale, full-size set, like a house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they really were walking through those hallways, and mm-hmm. but it was all built. Yeah, that's super Amazing. cool. The set was designed by Leslie Dilly. The, the crew was careful not to make the house appear 
to be like any other haunted house. You know, you want it to look unique for your movie, right? Mm-hmm. So they molded it after the Spanish architect, Anthony Gaudi. Spirals in ceilings and other set pieces were references to the Harvey comic characters, like Casper and the ghostly trio, with their swirly heads. The set was also inspired by the notorious Winchester house with winding hallways and endless rooms. <laughs> scenes were scenes where Cat explores these were cut out for time, but we can still get this feeling watching the movie. Yeah, the house mm-hmm. is just endless. Yeah. And she comes across the room with the names of the ghostly trio on their beds. <laughs> oh. You know, s- yeah. stretch, stinky, fatso. And that's actually the only time in the movie that we hear Stretch's name, I think. Almost like they didn't want to give them names. Mm. Yeah. They're just the three. Right. Right. And they're horrible. Right. So the characters (laughs) have had so many different names over the years. And whether or not they're actually Casper's uncles are kind of debatable. You know, I think... Originally in the script, Cat finds a picture of them when they were people. Oh. So I think in the movie universe, he is supposed they are supposed to actually be his uncles. I see. But I, I don't know for certain. But Fatso, I think, was always a constant name. Solid. <laughs> yeah. The designers also wanted the sensation that Dr. Seuss threw up with all <laughs> the color, odd shapes, and various strange props that filled the house. It's <laughs> the wackiest thing you can think of. Yeah. It looked as if it had come straight out of the comic books that Casper was known for. There are cracks in the set that give it an old feel, like a broken down house. These cracks were real. There had been earthquakes leading up to the shooting, and the set was damaged because of it. It was still safe for the actors to use, but they added to the realism of the set. Mm-hmm. How cool is nice. that? Yeah. Pretty I, dang cool. That is neat. I think. Yeah, it's something that you can't design, right? Yeah, it's just, exactly. It's like sprinkling the last little bit on your set. It's like, earthquake. <laughs> just a finished, finishing touch. Yeah. The crew also used hot resin guns that shot out spider webs to place all over the set. I have been thinking about that a lot lately. <laughs> I was just like, what? I want that yeah, for like Halloween. Me too. Heck I yeah. want that. The coolest Halloween direction. Yeah. I, decoration. Uh, then when they said that, I was like, bro. Can we have those, like, on the regular market, please? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How... Yeah, just go buy it at your craft stores. Yeah. <laughs> the groundbreaking special effects were done by Industrial Light and Magic. Woo-hoo. Shout out. <laughs> this visual effects company, founded by George Lucas, has worked on films like Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Young Sherlock Holmes, Jumanji, and so many more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We talked about young Sherlock Holmes in our special effects episode because that was a pretty groundbreaking movie. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was. At the time, when they were approached, their senior visual effects supervisor and creative director, Dennis Murin, was not sure if Casper would be a big enough spectacle after the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Once finished, however, it was clear that Casper was different and a spectacle of his own. Obviously, oh, yeah. nothing's going to live up to the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. I mean... No. I mean, it's okay. Yes. But wouldn't it have been cool if they made an animatronic ghost? Yeah, cool. I-, I wonder if it would have been a lot like the original Watcher from Watcher in the Woods. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh that my That horrible gosh. trash bag monster. That trash bag. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Now I want... See, that's the, that's the dark and gritty Casper we need. <laughs> The animation took two years and 28 terabytes, or 19 million floppy disks, oh, goodness. <laughs> yes. to fill up. 
Compared to Jurassic Park's 6.5 minutes of screen time for visual computer effects, Casper and his uncles have a glorious 40 minutes. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. In it's animation. Mm-hmm. Even though it's computer animation, it's still animation, so they're still doing every second yeah. 24 frames. Oh, goodness yep. gracious. Yep. But on the computer. Yeah. yeah. Silberlene really stepped in it this time, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the special effects team was well over 100 people, including about 30 animators and technical directors that would match the lighting of the characters to the lighting of the set. This is something that is really hard to do even if you know how to light. And I I know that it's really hard to do because it's so easy to spot bad green screen effects. Mm -hmm. And the number one cause of a bad green screen effect is that you didn't match the lighting. And I don't want to say that it's easy to light a completely CG scene because obviously those people are incredibly talented and Mm -hmm. that's difficult to do. But I can't imagine having, you know, like, it's another thing entirely to have to match real life. I mean, yeah. sure, you have a reference mm-hmm. to go on, but, like, you're trying to light a ghost. It's like you don't know what right. it's going to look like. Yeah. You kind of yeah. have to. And when you're dealing yeah. with something that is so unbelievable as mm-hmm. this movie, yeah. yeah, right, you know, the audience is coming in with doubt, you know, right. when you're coming in. And so you cannot do anything to increase that doubt. You have to do your absolute best to make this as believable as possible and yeah. look as good as it could possibly look so that people aren't watching it and going, oh, oh, wow, I'm out of it. I've, I've been taken out. Yeah. It's just, it's such a thing that you have to be mm-hmm. really careful about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The company needed fully edited scenes for them to add the ghosts, meaning that the actors had to act with only references to where the ghosts might be, based on Brad Silberling's direction. Also, the film editor had to choose a lot of scenes with seemingly nothing happening in them during the editing process. It would be hard for him to understand at times what exactly was happening in the scenes he was editing. <laughs> oh, think, I didn't oh think boy. of that. Yeah, think of a Casper-only scene. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh my and there's goodness. no Casper in it when the editor is editing because they have to give a fully finished scene <laughs> to the a- animators. And so you just have a room. And so every once in a while, an object moves. Yeah. The curtain, the window blows yeah, out of the, the curtain. curtain. Yep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't believe it. Wow. And he's editing that. Whew, that takes an imagination. Yeah. <laughs> the first edited scene sent to the company was the scene in the kitchen, where Casper makes breakfast for Cat and Dr. Harvey. Because this was the first scene, you can see how the ghosts are animated differently here than they are in the other scenes of the movie. The filmmakers didn't like the way the characters were lit, and they seemed to look more like cell animation than the realistic CGI that they were going for. They look more solid. Mm. In a lot of other scenes, they look more translucent. And- yeah, I think the best way to describe it would be solid. Yeah, they just you can't see through them quite as much. Yes, and they're just like you. F- they feel more tangible. They had to research more lighting techniques to get the translucent imagery that they were going for. Previous films like Poltergeist and Ghostbusters used a combination of live action and special visual effects to make their ghosts. Casper had an entirely new look. It actually holds up pretty well, honestly. Watching it watching it recently, I thought it was going to be kind of hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. Looks yep, pretty good. Still looks great. Yeah. What made Casper and the ghostly trio appear more real was their relationship relative to light. These CGI characters casted shadows and refracted light, something that made them stand out. Casper 
also had subtle body language and facial expressions, avoiding the over-the-top depiction that many animated characters have. Audiences have no trouble believing that he was once a living human because he looks authentic. Yeah. Yeah. They did a really good job on him. It's so Mm -hmm. easy to just do the exaggeration thing because then you get the cartoony thing. It's like, oh, it's animated. It's Mm -hmm. just, that's just the way it is now. You know, the uncles are very much like that. But with Casper trying to not go nuts with it, it's way more subtle. And subtle animation is difficult, but Mm -hmm. I think they did really good, a really good job. Yeah. And they poked fun at it. I think my favorite joke in the movie is when Casper's in his room and he sees the handprint he made when he was alive mm-hmm. on the wall. And he says, when I had five fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And I love that joke. And it, was, <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Subtle, but amazing. Yeah, it's a great joke. Although computer graphics may seem faster and easier than traditional cell animation, Each sequence was painstakingly animated at a high-resolution silicon graphics workstation. Artists had to choose shape, color, and density while maintaining correct lighting and camera perspective. A new model had to be created by an animator for each shape that Casper took. There are various scenes where the ghost becomes a shirt, a superhero, and a pillow. This had to be crafted each time, and the more creative the scenes were, the more difficult the animation. It's a lot of work. There were perks over traditional animation, however. For example, animators were able to simulate objects that the ghosts would manipulate, rather than having to use actual props for the ghosts to move. Usually, if a ghost is holding something, it's actually CGI. When the ghostly trio first appears, Stretch is holding a CG newspaper. When Casper delivers pancakes, they are completely graphic as well. Wow. I, I'm even watching it now. I thought the pancakes are real. I had no idea, and I, yeah. I would not have known. Totally bought that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. things that they were able to make so realistic, and th- this was such a difference from Who Framed Roger Rabbit because – with who framed roger rabbit you had to use all physical objects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you'd have to set up rigs and you'd have to make it seem like the objects were moving on their own so that Mm -hmm. way you could just add animation later and with casper they could at least cheat just a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just saved them so much money right i mean imagine just think about having to rig up like a a newspaper to look like it's being held and like flicked open yeah or, yeah it's like wow, or pancakes but, without yeah. having them fall all over yes yeah, yeah. these beautiful perfectly round yes. pancakes that i should have known were fake know. they look delicious that's he, how i know they're animated yeah. he's just supposedly, that good at yeah. making them i was about <laughs> yeah. to say supposedly made by a 12 year old essentially mm. he's well, had some time i was though. gonna say that's he's had okay time you're right <laughs> although was the fridge always stocked i don't know yeah. we could Ooh, do yeah how are they getting groceries <laughs> yeah <laughs> We could do a whole episode on, like, why is it that animated food looks so good? We'll talk Our about Our top it. five favorite animated dishes. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yes. Spirited away, number one. The honey from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, God. oh man. It's just, it's oh, just honey, but I want it so badly. I, I don't even like honey that much. Same. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> there was originally a musical number shot for the film that did not make the final cut because the animation would have been so expensive and hard to pull off that they completely cut the scene. The song was called Lucky Enough to Be a Ghost and was sung by the ghostly trio. It was very Benny Goodman, big 
you know, big band swing yeah, yeah. kind of sound. Yeah. Bum, ba, 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 da, you know. Yeah, yeah. And had this big choreographed scene, so they had Bill Pullman do the dancing. Oh. As if oh my the ghosts were there. Nice. And they sent this they sent the scene over to Industrial Light and Magic and they the animators saw it. And I think they said they didn't even watch the whole scene. They just <laughs> they turned it down <laughs> they real just, quick. They were like, um, no. Yeah. We we can't do this because it will be so much money. They said the the ghosts touched each other a lot in the scene. Oh yeah. And at the time that was like so expensive. You risk clipping. Yeah. yeah. And then- yeah. They were just, they couldn't, you know, Aww, they had to cut sad. costs a lot, even though the movie itself was, I think, uh, $50 million to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They still had to cut costs, like, you know, Brad had to watch through scenes where ghosts were supposed to be mm-hmm. and eliminate them from scenes where they seemed unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. If they're just get rid of all of them in the backgrounds of, yes. of scenes where they just weren't really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Animator Phil Nibelink was on the set of the film, standing by to render reference animation for the actors as they performed each scene. If you remember from our Space Jam episode, they employed a very similar process. Space Jam came out one year later in 1996. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. This guy just drawn up real fast. Okay, here's where the ghost is. Uh Give the editor an idea. Yeah. (laughs) There were also some practical effects used in the film. For example, in the construction scene, a wrecking ball hits a Range Rover. That's a real wrecking ball and a real Range Rover. Holy cow. (laughs) What a fun day on set. I know, right? (laughs) Also, lots and lots of fishing line was used to simulate the ghosts as they would interact with humans. The scene where Casper carried Cat away is an example. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. There was one scene where Casper's wrapped around her face and then he lets go. And so her hair goes out and mm-hmm. it was just, it was cinched around her hair and then they had it on a timer <laughs> and, and it would let go. So that, you know, so yeah. like they had to do every huh. time, yeah, a ghost manipulates a person mm-hmm. and something moves, they had to use some sort of special effect to make it happen. So That's cool. so cool. Yeah. All the little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is a cool movie. Yes. Movies are just cool. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> yeah. That's a hot take, but I think I agree with you. We should do a podcast about it. <laughs> okay. So the original Casper theme song is incredibly famous. We all know mm-hmm. it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was written by two wonderful songwriters who gave us a lot of classic themes over the years. They were Mac David and Jerry Livingston. They worked together on Disney classics like Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland. Sweet. Yeah, they were part of the team that brought us Bippity Boppity Boo (laughs) and A Very Merry Unbirthday. Oh, God. The film also included a cover of the song by Little Richard, and it is a certified bop. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. They issued the certificate recently. (laughs) There was a ceremony and everything. (laughs) Yep. I want to do that. <laughs> I want that to be real. Uh, you should make it, Adam. We'll put it in the blog. Yeah. Certified Bob. <laughs> in 1995, composer James Horner scored Braveheart, Jumanji, Apollo 13, Balto, and Casper. Wow. Dang. That's some good ones. It's a lot of really big movies. Mm-hmm. Of course, he wrote incredible scores for many more films throughout his career. But with Casper, he excelled at bringing forth childlike innocence and wonder married perfectly with emotion. 
I will never agree with anyone who thinks that Casper lacks emotion simply for the score in the track Casper's Lullaby. Absolutely beautiful. If, you, if you're unfamiliar, just go to YouTube, type in Casper's Lullaby. It's this beautiful piece of music. You you will like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope you will anyway. No, you will. It's guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> On the site Movie Wave, they say this about Casper's Lullaby. It's truly wonderful. One of the most lilting and beautiful of all James Horner themes. With two distinct parts. The first usually heard on piano. The second usually heavenly wordless choir. It is woven throughout the score and always makes a mark. But especially in its album arrangement late on. As fashions changed, later in his career, Horner was frequently criticized by film critics for going too far with the emotional manipulation. Back in 1995, it was still considered to be one of the primary purposes of film music, and none did it better. Believe it. Mm -hmm. He was really good. It was very sad when we lost him. He uh, was still making great stuff. So, Brad Silberling was absolutely blown away by his actors and their ability to react to characters that weren't there in the scene with them. The sets were being constantly manipulated so everyone knew where the ghosts were supposed to be, almost convincing themselves they could see them. Silberlein referred to this as collective delusion. The eye contact between the actors and the ghosts is what really sells the story, and the main cast delivered better performances than he could have hoped for. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was never taken out of it. I always felt yeah. like yeah. the ghosts were really there. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at them. Yeah. They, they keep yeah. it together the whole time. One of those actors was Christina Ricci as the young girl cat. She's also well known for being Wednesday in the 1991 Adams Family. She has appeared in other things like Allie McBeal, Saving Grace, and was Penelope in the movie Penelope. She originally met Steven Spielberg as he was casting Jurassic Park, but she was too old for the role. This was how she got her hands on the script for Casper. Silberlein believed that she was a genius performer who really grounded the film as a strong female character with a no BS attitude. Heck yeah. Yes. The year of 1995 was referred to by Newsweek and the Christian Science Monitor as the year of the woman, or rather, girl. It was dubbed this because up to that year, many of the movie releases would feature boys or men as the main protagonists. In 1995, there was a bigger surge of movies with girls being the leads. This included A Little Princess, The Babysitter's Club, Clueless, and more. While Casper is named for the boy ghost and is, of course, the title character, Kat fits into this role of the main girl because she is the living protagonist. Yeah, she she almost is just a co-protagonist, like a co-star. Yeah. Like they're, they're almost on the same level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you look at it, Cat and Casper are on equal grounding, helping each other. Cat's character brings the emotional weight, providing her perspective as a young girl without her mother, who has been uprooted and forced to watch her father cope, a little unhealthily, with the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. I guess because when you're a ghost, life doesn't matter that much anymore. So you forget. Sometimes I worry that I'm starting to forget. Forget what? My mom. Kat is the one that reminds Casper that he once lived, 
bringing up the memories of his life that he had forgotten and gives him the one thing that he'd always wanted, a friend. Yeah. How cute is this movie? I know. Really cool. Yeah, Casper has essentially completely forgotten his whole life as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, she asks him questions and he's like, uh... I don't know. I don't remember. And then this kind of worries Kat a little bit because then she thinks maybe my mom has forgotten about me. Oh, yeah. And so then Casper's ability to recall things really, I think, kind of lifts her spirits a little bit too. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we have Bill Pullman as Dr. Harvey. Many different actors were considered for the role of ghost therapist Dr. Harvey, but Brad Silberlein was ecstatic to work with Bill Pullman. I would be too, man. Yeah. <laughs> Silberlein was a huge fan of Bill Pullman's subtle comedic ability, which he had seen in Spaceballs and the 1992 film Singles. He was looking for someone to be, quote-unquote, the Jimmy Stewart of the 90s. <laughs> someone that could really anchor the audience and sell this universe and story Steven Spielberg was not familiar with Pullman's work, but told Silberlein that it was his movie and he trusted his judgment for a leading man. That's pretty awesome. Yep. After he had been cast, Pullman starred in While You Were Sleeping and was cast in Independence Day. By 1996, he was a huge star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they cast him in this, and then he became a huge star. (laughs) Yeah. So then it was like, oh, all right, we picked somebody good. Yeah, you can look back and be like, we had him before. He was cool. (laughs) Hearing that Brad Silberling wanted him to be the Jimmy Stewart of the 90s Mm -hmm. really clicked for me. When I heard that, I thought, oh, my God, he is. (laughs) He is like the Jimmy Stewart of the 90s. That's crazy. When I think about movies like Harvey, where Jimmy Stewart convinces the audience that his best friend is a seven-foot-tall rabbit that nobody else can see, I can see it. I can see the similarities between him and Bill Pullman. Well, he pulled it off. And next, we have Eric Idle as Dibs. He is, of course, of Python fame, and you can hear more about him on our Monty Python and the Holy Case episode. That's right. Let's go back and listen to that one. Plug in our own show. Yes. yes. No shame. Yeah. Silberlein was thrilled to work with him as a Python fan, and he was able to improvise a lot in the film with his acting mate, Kathy Moriarty. Mm. Yes. So Kathy Moriarty played Kerrigan. And she has been in many other things, including Raging Bull, Analyze That, Soap Dish, Kindergarten Cop, and Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Yeah. Her Tales from the Crypt credit is funny since the Crypt Keeper actually appears in Casper. Mm -hmm. What? Does he really? Yeah. Yeah. Block that out, I guess. Devin Sawa as the on-screen live Casper. He has been in things like Final Destination, Now and Then, and Nikita. In Now and Then, he was Christina Ricci's love interest as well. Yep. Oh, wow, what a winky cool. dink. Yeah, it what? was a couple of years earlier before Casper. Oh. Oh, so I get to get I get to work with that guy again. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, there had to be voices for the ghosts as well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Malachi Pearson as Casper, of course. He is known for being Rambo in Family Matters and Eric in Suburban Commando. 
Joe Napoli is stretch. Hey, what the hell do you think you're doing, bulbhead? This floor used to be dirty enough to eat off of. Known for portraying Frankie Waters in Viper and Boomer in Meatballs 2. <laughs> yeah. Which is quite the credit. Yes. <laughs> Joe Alasky is stinky. Smellagram. <laughs> He is a voice actor that has since taken over many of the voices that Mel Blanc used to do. He has done voices for Roger Rabbit, Avatar The Last Airbender, and he was Grandpa Lou Pickles in Rugrats. Yeah. Some killer voices. And Brad Garrett is Fatso. My man! He was the brother Robert in Everybody Loves Raymond, Eddie in Till Death, and has had many other roles. There were also some cameos in this movie as well. Some wonderful cameos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is a Ghostbuster. Yes. Which is hilarious. Who are you going to call? Someone else. Don Novello as Father Guido Sarducci. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How did it go? Oh, it was fine. was uh, no problem. He's a kid. He has played characters with, uh, with this name before on SNL. Uh, Sin City Spectacular, Unhappily Ever After, Married with Children, Blossom, and many others. <laughs> he can also be found as the voice of Vinny in Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Yeah. Yes. Which is a great one. He also improvised nearly all of his lines as this character. It's a piece of cake, piece of crumb cake. <laughs> <He's so smart. laughs> I love it. When he walks out of the mansion with his head screwed back behind him, it was a reference to Death Becomes Her, as Meryl Streep's character suffers a similar fate with very similar effects. Yeah. Mm. Meryl Streep, I believe, falls down the stairs mm-hmm. and ends up with her head screwed back behind her. And it's not even on the cover of the movie, you can see yeah. how her head ah. did. And it was, it was a direct reference. Actually, this movie had a lot of references to other movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Jaws, Close oh, Encounters. Gosh. Yeah, Poltergeist. Yeah. There's also Clint Eastwood. He appears as one of the faces in the mirror that Dr. Harvey sees along with the next three. So there's a scene in the movie, if everybody, it's been too long, where Dr. Harvey gets possessed mm-hmm. by the three ghosts. And he walks up to a mirror and he looks in and he starts to see faces that are not his face. And Clint Eastwood's face, I think, is the first one mm-hmm. that appears. I'm going to kill you, your mama, and all her bridge-playing friends. In order to convince Eastwood to be in the movie, Spielberg told him that he himself would be in the scene as well. So they did shoot a scene where Steven Spielberg also appears in the movie, but they cut it out. Yeah, he was Ooh. supposed to show up in the mirror, too. Yeah. Tricky. Another one of those faces is Rodney Dangerfield. You think you got a tub? I got a facelift. There was one just like it underneath. Um, Dangerfield is thought to be the human version of Fatso. Each actor that appears in the movie is thought to be one of the ghosts when they were alive. Yeah. So ah. So Eastwood is the counter is the living counterpart of Stretch. Right. Also Mel Gibson, and Gibson yep. is Stinky's <clears throat> counterpart. Yeah. The Crypt Keeper. John Kaser. Yeah, the Crypt Keeper is the last image he sees in the mirror. Yes, which is scary. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. freak him out by showing him the Crypt Keeper. (laughs) Keeper. I'm out. 
Jessica Wesson as Amber, who wants to have a party at the house. If you're a Boy Meets World fan, then you may recognize her, but she was also in Home Improvement and Judging Amy. So let's talk a little bit about how this movie was received. We've kind of touched on it a little bit. At the box office, Casper was a success. It made over $100 million in the U.S. alone, earning the title of a summer blockbuster. But critically, the movie did not do so well. What? Very, very mixed. Many critics felt that even though the movie attempted to achieve a certain level of emotion, it fell flat. The general consensus was that it was a popcorn flick, something to entertain the kiddies with sometimes funny humor that was lost on more sophisticated audiences. One critic did not agree with Soberling in regards to his actors, feeling that Bill Pullman often looked dazed, as if he didn't know where the ghosts were supposed to be in the scene. That's the opposite of what we said earlier. (laughs) (laughs) One thing the audiences didn't expect was the romantic element of the story between a ghost that had been dead for a hundred years and a living teenage girl. When Soberling first worked on the project, he felt that Casper was a bit too soft and androgynous. He and the other crew behind the story felt that they needed to add a layer of him as a 12 or 13 year old boy who has the chance to hang out with a girl for the first time. The line, there's a girl on my bed, yes, was fairly controversial. And the family that owned Harvey Comics was not pleased with the interpretation. You see, before the movie, no one had ever given Casper a backstory as a dead boy. And the comics firmly believed that he was born a ghost, as we talked about earlier. Another famous line in the film, Can I Keep You, may have missed its mark with some audiences. But for others, it rings in an unbelievably sad expression of loneliness. If I were alive, would you go to the Halloween dance with me? Mm-hmm. Cat, mm-hmm. can I keep you? Mm-hmm. Casper asks this as Cat falls asleep, unsure if she truly hears him. At the end of the movie, Casper gets one chance to be hu- to be a human boy again, and he uses this time to dance with Cat. He asks again, but this time, the line holds a different meaning. Casper asks this question knowing that the answer is no, but he wants Kat to know that he loves her enough to ask. In a Refinery29 article, writer Ann Cohen took a look back at the movie to quote-unquote right the wrongs of the past critics. She spoke about the line, saying, Casper stands as a powerful childhood introduction to the complex realities of death and the need to let go of loved ones. Even if, to echo those swoon-worthy four words, we keep their memories with us forever. I'm gonna cry. That sounds better. Sounds like a nicer nicer review. So, Casper is now this 12-year-old boy with blonde hair that I think, you know, she mentioned in the article was really a sexual awakening for a lot of girls. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. It's the only time, I think, in the movie where it feels like a romantic plot because mm-hmm. at yeah. this point he it, he's appropriately aged, mm-hmm. right? We see that they're the same age. We can see how they're definitely old enough to like each other. You know, mm-hmm. like you yeah. see that yeah. now, now that he's a human. But when he was a ghost, it was a little more, couldn't really, I don't know. You couldn't really put your finger on it, especially if you were a kid. So some fun facts we have here. One is that John Lasseter actually had a stuffed Casper doll as a child with a pull string back 
This was the inspiration for Woody's design and Toy Story. Hey, look yeah. at that. Isn't that pretty neat? Yeah. After the first design, I guess, where he was a creepy-ass dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Yeah, yeah. yikes. Steven Spielberg would appear on set a lot, but Silberlein didn't let him sit in his chair and watch. He would ask him to do various tasks for the movie. In one scene, he's dangling a light bulb in front of the camera <laughs> as Dr. Harvey and Cat hide in a closet. In another, he was the one to throw a huge glob of pudding on Dr. Harvey. I love it. I love that there's these little Steven Spielberg footprints in this movie. Yeah. Because when I found that out with the, I remember when I saw the scene with the light, the light bulb dangling, mm -hmm. I thought someone's got to be holding that. Yeah. Because it's dangling so much. Yeah. And, you know. It, the, the fact that that's Steven Spielberg makes me laugh yeah. so hard. Like this this hotshot director <laughs> yeah. over here is like, don't get off your butt and you're going to help out. Yeah, he was in the middle of award season, I guess, and yeah. he was scooping up all these accolades for Schindler's List. Yeah. And, you know, it was a really big time for him. Oh my he's gosh. dangling light bulbs and throwing pudding. <laughs> yeah. He's doing what an intern would do. <laughs> yeah. In order to sell more VHS copies, MCA Universal teamed up with a few companies to make purchases more appealing. One promotion was that if you bought it, you would receive a free 12-pack of Pepsi and another movie title. Sold. I know, yeah. right? That seems like a deal. <laughs> Pepsi would help further by running a Casper-themed commercial for two weeks. We'll actually link to this if you want to see it in our blog. And finally, Baskin Robbins also got in on the action by having a special Casper Halloween Polar Pizza Ice Cream <laughs> and a flavor called Red, White, and Boo. <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Adorable. It's so easy to advertise a ghost, but like it worked yeah. even better with Casper because he was yeah. already well-known. Yeah, he's already child-friendly. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The team behind Casper took a ghost from 1940 and placed him firmly in 1995. They even incorporated the show Hard Copy to establish the time and set the tone for a cheesy yet beautiful film. Casper makes great use of believable characters who interact with ghosts the same way you or I might. It introduces young audiences to the concept of death, even the death of a child. Romantic subplot aside... It represents a strong, beautiful friendship between Kat and Casper and shows the healing journey of Dr. Harvey with the unlikely help of the ghostly trio. Almost every character experiences growth, maybe with the exception of the two villains, meaning that the movie added a new depth to familiar characters. With great acting, a unique story, and incredible score, Casper is real to anyone, even to those who don't believe in ghosts. Yep. Yeah. We didn't talk about it much, but Dr. Harvey does a lot of growth in this movie. Ultimately, at the end, he does see the ghost of his wife, and he's able to kind of move on. Hopefully, mm -hmm. we don't really see it. James, I know you've been searching for me, but there's something you have to understand. You and Kat loved me so well when I was alive that I have no unfinished business. Please don't let me be yours. And I, I think... I think that's really great, that whole scene. But really what helps him get over it the most, I think, is the ghostly trio and how, you know, they start out as this 
horrendous, horrible yeah. group of ghosts that are so terrifying and scary that mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters don't want to do anything with them, <laughs> you know? And so, like, they're, they're so evil and mean and violent. And then Dr. Harvey comes in, and they immediately take pity on him. I mean, they mess with him, but they're like, dude, you know? And they just kind of make fun of him. And so they kind of level with him, and they get along pretty well, and they become kind of like buddies. And it's really interesting the parallel you know watching casper and cat and then watching dr harvey and the ghostly trio you know and how they've kind of they help each other mm-hmm. and so it is a great movie with a lot of healing and there is a lot of emotional depth to it that's yes. right yeah so thank you very much for listening we wanted to shout out one person on twitter real quick <clears throat> um this is at pastel paperback and her currently her spooky name on twitter is the masked pumpkin which is very funny and topical (laughs) but she said i have been revisiting all of your halloween content and you guys and your podcast are such a delight love the format love the info love the vibes you bring just everything is stellar (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for your words we appreciate it you know i was feeling really sick this morning (laughs) and then i got that you I, we saw that on Twitter, and I felt so much better. <laughs> yeah, yep. yes. It it means a lot that you uh, take the time to listen and let us know that you like what we're doing. Yeah, it, it it really means a lot. So we thank you very much. Yes, thank you so so much. Yes. So that is going to be a case closed. Woo. Heck yeah, everybody! Yeah. Thank you to all the listeners out there. We really appreciate you. Mm-hmm. If you want to listen to other stuff, you can find us on every podcast platform pretty much ever but the the sweet place to go is blackcasediaries.com we've got all the links to the cool stuff like videos and whatnot that we mentioned in this episode and all the episodes so you go check us out there we would also appreciate it if you maybe want to check out our patreon that would be nice yeah just look at it yeah you can just go check it out there's some free drink recipes <laughs> mm-hmm. on there which yeah, is pretty that's dope true. that's right we um, just recently released a Patreon exclusive briefcase. That's true. Yes. So if you need that BCD awesomeness even more, then go check out our Patreon. Mm-hmm. We'd appreciate it very much. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much. Have a spooktacular day. We will see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Uh, boo?